Hello and welcome to another edition of Back of the Grid. I'm your host, Stu, and I'm joined as always by Tom. Hello. Oh, bit, bit, bit of a Tom delay there. And by Chris. Hello. Hello. No delay. Was, Chris almost said that. That was more that I, I wasn't expecting you to come to me first. That was more that I didn't expect I overcompensated there. <laughs> and we've all immediately spoken all over the top of each what other. Who cares? Who cares? True, in true back of the grid form. Can't yeah. wait to edit this one. It's what they're here yeah. for. Chaos. Um, how how are we all doing? You had a nice weekend? Did you watch the Formula E? Did watch the Formula E. Did you get that a chance was... to watch it, Tom? I watched some Formula E. I watched some NASCAR. Um, oh, you did you watch the NASCAR as well? Well, I half I was saying this earlier to Discord whilst we were prepping. I like sort of half had it on in the background whilst we were doing other things, and then I kind of just filled the gaps with anything that was in the highlights. But it wasn't. I mean, I've been told by people who understand NASCAR that it wasn't the best example of NASCAR, and no, my takeaway was that whoever was on commentary really doesn't like cautions. Like, really <laughs> oh, doesn't dear. like cautions. Um, where was it? Circuit of the Americas, wasn't it? Circuit yeah. of the Americas, yeah. Texas. Cota. Oh, cool, cool. Well, yeah. Um, well, <clears throat> enough about that, though, because we're here today to preview the Australian Grand Prix. Um, we've got some news. We've got news about changes at McLaren, free practice nonsense, <laughs> FIA stuff, um, all sorts. So we probably better get into it. Chris is going to take us away through the news. So, Chris, hit it. What we got? It's been a, been a busy couple of weeks. Um, yeah, so we'll start with something that happened pretty much right after the last podcast, which is organisational change at McLaren, which I feel like is a new story we do at least once a year or every other year. Um, so they say these changes have been planned for a few months. I presume that since Andrea Stella took over as team principal. You may remember they had the structure where they had one executive technical director kind of overseeing a technical team. And now they're moving away from that and splitting the technical side into sort of three distinct leadership roles. So... What could go wrong? Yeah, right. Hmm. Um, the first one of those is going to be the return of David Sanchez, who worked at McLaren previously from 2007 to 2012. Interestingly, he was in charge of the team that came up with the F-Duct, which is one of my favourite F1 oh. innovations there's yeah. ever been. Um, so he was off at Ferrari. Do you want to um, tell some of the potentially new fans what an F-Duct is? Yes, very quickly, the F-duct was essentially a little port on the sort of above the driver's legs, essentially, on the top of the car, which allowed air to go in and then it exited through the bottom of the car, I believe. No, it exited it, um, at the back to stall the rear wing. It yes. depended, yeah. So there was a, and yeah. there was a little, there was a little um, kind of gap in the inside of the cockpit and the driver could essentially yes. put their hand across the gap and it changed where the airflow went from being into the car as to through and over the back. Yeah. Yeah. So, so when, normally when, the air would they... exit into the cockpit and then they would stick their hand over the hole to cover it up and that would direct the air to the rear wing yeah. to stall it. Very, and very clever. And the whole reason it was called the F duct is because the entrance point was underneath the F of Vodafone on the car. Oh, is that where Isn't it came that from? It? Is that where it came from? <laughs> That's brilliant. <laughs> Um, which meant every team invented I their believe. own. We had about two-thirds of a season of drivers taking flat-out corners one-handed, and the FIA said, no more of that. And yeah. Actually, no. What was, um, 
there was many variants of it as well, wasn't there? There was like an S duct, which was something similar that tried to knock it off. And well, some teams have got S ducts this year, I believe. Yeah, um, S duct is, is a different thing. S duct is more. Yeah, it's the shape. An S duct is the shape of the uh, the bodywork inside forms the shape of an S, and it goes yeah. in, up, and round kind of thing in the shape of a backwards S, depending on which side of the car you're on. Um. Yeah. Anyway. But anyway. Mm. David Sanchez, yeah, so he's been away at Ferrari as their chief engineer uh, of vehicle concept for the last 10 years, but he's coming back to be McLaren's new technical director car concept, which is the first part of the technical roles. Second one is P- Peter, Pro- I always struggle pronouncing this guy's name, Peter Pro- Prodromu. Pro- Prodromu, yeah. Prodromu. Peter Prodromu. Um, so he was kind Prodromu. of... He was basically Adrian Newey's protege for a number of years, wasn't he? Um, he worked pro, under him at McLaren. Pro, 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 <laughs> Peter Protégé. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's it. We can call him Peter Protégé forever yes. now. <laughs> so he was um, worked with Adrian Newey at McLaren and then went with him to Red Bull. Um, he's been back at McLaren since 2014 and he's now going to be technical director aerodynamics. And then a guy called Neil Holdley is going to be promoted to technical director of engineering and design. So it's basically they're going to have three technical directors now doing different specialties. All of which means that the previous executive technical director, James Key, is going to be leaving the team after just uh, three years. Um, and he was like, I remember him joining McLaren and it being like a really big deal. Like he was a very a big, well-respected name in F1. So he, he's been in F1 since 98. He started with Jordan and was with that team through their various names up to Force India. Uh, he was at Sauber for a couple of years, then Toro Rosso. McLaren signed him in 2018. But you can always tell how highly thought of somebody is based on the amount of gardening leave they have. And he basically had to yeah. sit on the sidelines for a year before he was allowed to go to McLaren. So Wowzer. the fact time. that he's now gone after only three years is... <sighs> Something's clearly not worked with that. Whether, I mean, it, it it almost feels like he's sort of been made a bit of a scapegoat for their struggles, doesn't it? Like, it's like we're having a hard time and this is the one guy that's leaving the team, you know? I mean, yeah. I think part of the problem is obviously the fact that they had one person doing what is definitely more than one person's job, probably. Evident by yeah. the fact that they've employed three people to now do it from different sectors. Um, yeah. Um, but the thing is, like, if I'd, uh, sometimes when they do this, when they take one person's job, so when, when one person leaves and then they get three people to replace them, you kind of think, well, you know, no one person can be the absolute maximum best they can be at all three of those jobs no. at once, right? Yeah, so, exactly. By bringing three different specialists in to cover the three roles, you're almost getting rid of a jack of all trades and getting masters of each individual trade in. And you would in hope theory, so. that should like elevate the team. The problem you have though is if you don't have anyone on top of that wrangling them, which I guess would be the team principal, um, Andrea Stella's job, mm-hmm. then you can very quickly sort of fall into the the conflict zone kind of thing, can't you? Where well, They've all got differing priorities. They all have got their own opinions on what the car needs to make it go quicker, and they're all in competition with each other, and they've all got conflicting interests in in how they're going to achieve the ultimate goal. And this is the weird thing. Like, I think they they moved to this 
having one executive tech director around the time that um, Andreas Seidel joined the team as team principal. And I kind of remember having much this same conversation back then saying, you know, can one person fill all those roles? And they sort of made a big deal at the time of like, oh, we're moving to this amazing new management structure. And now three years later, oh, we're moving to this amazing new management structure, which is actually kind of the one one we changed away from. (laughs) Yeah. Mm, I don't know. Strange times at McLaren. I guess the thing is, like, there's there's two different ways of approaching it. There's being the single sole technical director and having the specialist beneath you and manage them manage them as the single point of truth. I guess of you know making the executive decision of this is the direction we go, this is what we choose here and why, so on and so forth, and having skilled people just slightly below that essentially leading each department but i feel like because james key is the only person that's gone there wasn't anybody underneath in between him and what was happening and that's why we've got these it's been split into three different roles because that's what will now happen and then i would assume the these three technical directors from their different capacities will report to someone like you say like a team principal that has to make a decision of this is the philosophy or if there is a conflict between different departments, <laughs> it's their job to solve it. Was I maybe would guess. Missing a little bit of, um, missing a bit of middle management, <laughs> which is not something I say very mm. often, but <laughs> in this case, kind of what it feels mm. a bit like. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's strange. I mean, obviously we hope for McLaren's sake that this does work out and that can sort of turn things around. Um, I hope so. They don't, I think they need, they need stability, well, like, don't they? When stuff like this happens this early in a season, you feel like this is kind of like the end of their season already. Oh, yeah. Right? Like, you're right, you're the, writing these, off your current season, aren't you, really? Yeah, like getting these, these new personnel in and or, or having such a big sh- reshuffle of the team. It's kind of like... It's almost like the excuses have all been made. They've given up on it already. Mm. And... Now they're free to say, "Oh well, th- we went the wrong way. Yeah. We need to. We're going to use our new structure to go the right way in the future." But there's still like a lot of money on the table. There's still a lot of championship points and places on the table. We've only done mm-hmm. two races, and I mean, something must have gone drastically wrong with the design of this car for them to have yeah reshuffled the way they have to. Because this is now. Two of the highest jobs within the F1 yeah. arm of McLaren that were there as part of the design and planning for this year's car are now gone. So it's a strange place for them to be. I guess Ferrari are going through a similar thing right now as well, though, aren't they? You know, they've got a different team principle, and there's been a lot of movement around within Ferrari. And mm. yeah. It's sort of it almost feels like those teams are just going to be kind of getting through this year and hoping for a better twenty twenty four already. Yeah, well, Ferrari, mm-hmm. you you hope and expect, I think, a lot more from in recent years than McLaren. Yeah, so it's true. Um, that's a whole another. I think we could do a whole episode about yeah, Ferrari and what the hell's going on there. So let's uh, make sure we move on to the next bit of news. Yeah, let's move on. Uh, let's move on to free practice nonsense. Um, so. <laughs> Stefano Domenicali, the F1 CEO, had a, a nice trip to Portimao at the weekend to go to see MotoGP. Um, and Portuguese TV stuck a mic under his nose and asked him a few questions. 
And he said that he supports the cancellation of free practice sessions in F1. Um, F1, an F1 spokesperson then scrambled to get a statement together and said that their priority is not to do away with practice sessions, but to make them more engaging. Uh, Which Stefan I think Gu- is on a Friday morning, I, I think is fair. Yes, yeah, so no, sorry, Ricardi- a, sorry a, a Saturday morning, a Saturday morning, it's fair to say that because that final practice session is pretty pointless. Yeah, yeah. Um, so he said in the past that he wanted to be very aggressive in pursuing um, only having one non-competitive session per race weekend. Um, and he said, in his opinion, every time we'll be on track uh, respecting the race on Sunday, that has to be the most important part of it. There should be something to fight for in terms of points or in terms of awards, which some people have uh, no. interpreted as saying that he wants to award points for practice sessions. I think that's ridiculous. I mean, that's, I that's think it's ridi- the idea of silly. awarding points for that and or qualifying as well. I mean, I think he's, I, you know what? I think he's got a bit excited on the MotoGP grid there and he's just sort of started saying things. <laughs> it's sort I, of what it sounds like. I'm not sure the MotoGP, well, whenever he was at the MotoGP, I don't know whether it was on the grid or not. I'm sure it was on the grid. It seems, it seems like the sort of place that like TV like crew it, would yeah. catch someone, isn't it? Like that. Because there's no way they did a feature on. Stefano Domenicali Supremo as part of the coverage. So um yeah, not the forum to be making huge not statements really. about no. your own sport. <laughs> a rival sports grid. You, you can maybe, imagine maybe the F1 thought, press office sat there like he yeah. said what? Maybe <laughs> like he thought, everybody who likes motorbikes doesn't like cars, and everyone that likes cars doesn't like motorbikes, so there'd be no crossover. Yeah, I can say what I want here. I'm with the bike people. No one's listening. He'll show up on the Formula E grid next. The sport that doesn't (laughs) exist. (laughs) Um, So let's take an early dip into the inbox uh, because it just seems like a good jumping off point uh, from friend of the show, Callum McIntyre. Hey man, thoughts on the chat about removing practice sessions. Personally, I don't understand the fuss. They're mostly dull in my opinion, and I can't blame F1 for trying to achieve a similar thing but get more eyeballs. The sport exists to entertain. What's your take, lads? I like this question a lot. I have some opinions <laughs> on it. Having worked hit me, hit me with some opinions. And having witnessed many, many, many practice sessions, <laughs> um, as we all have. Um so practice, I think Friday practice, I don't have a huge problem with. Um, I would like to, and we all know what my template for the perfect Formula One weekend is. And that's, if I remember rightly, it's um, <laughs> Friday, have the regular Friday practice sessions because they're quite nice to have as a sort of, you know, as a... Um, it's nice to have on a Friday afternoon when when you you're, you're at work, you're winding down your week, and there's a Formula One session on, and you've got the commentary on, and they're just the commentary is all pretty chill, but engaging and interesting, and you get like a really good hit of Formula One news and all of the things that are happening in the world of Formula One while the cars are going around the track. So as yeah, a broadcast it's... piece, if you're a really big Formula One fan like we all are, it's a really really good engaging time to be listening to information about the sport and and the comings and goings of the world of formula one right and this is why i don't love the current like sprint format qualifying on a friday because with just friday practice it's like if you're able to watch it on the friday it's nice to have it's nice to watch it 
But if you're not able to and you miss it, you're not really missing anything of significance. Yeah. Whereas if you've got a job that you can't sit at a computer, watch something and qualify on a Friday, you're missing one of the most exciting parts of the weekend. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So so then that brings us to Saturday morning where Friday, where a final practice, where free practice three is. Um, I would ditch that. I would replace that with regular qualifying and have qualifying on a Saturday morning instead. And then on a Saturday afternoon, I would have a reverse championship grid sprint race that mm-hmm. for points. That's what I would do. Cause then yeah. you've got points maybe for like not even half points for like one, two, three, four, five points, six points, maybe maximum. So six points for the winner, one point for sixth, and call it there. So the only the top teams, only the people who finish obviously in the good positions there yeah. get they don't get amazing points, but they get some points, right? And it means that there's a chance for your Mick Schumacher's of the world, or well, not this season. But <laughs> uh, Interesting choice, but but you know those ca- yeah. those kinds of drivers who are, who are not necessarily going to be at the front of the grid or, or anywhere near the front of the grid over the course of a race weekend. It's a chance for them to put in a stint and show what they can do. Like yeah. being being like meaningful battles and like have interesting things happen in their race weekend rather than just pootling around the back and not making a difference to anyone. And so, get the lower team some screen time as well. Exactly yeah. that, yeah. All that stuff. So it, it, it mixes up the order a nice lot as well. And it gives the really good teams a chance to, you know, I mean, if you look at Red Bull, <laughs> if, if we're doing this this season, <laughs> I think Red Bull would be cleaning up still. But then the rest of the teams are, if you look at how close that grid is at the moment in mm. qualifying, especially you know during the Q1 sessions, I think last one it was like less than a second between the top 18 cars in Q1 in um, Saudi. So if you're running that through a sprint race in reverse championship order, then you've got a lot of potential for really, really good racing because you've got the faster cars behind the slower cars off the grid. And you've got a potential for really, really good battling because those those lower-end teams, that is their race weekend. You know, that's where they're going to be picking up their points and making a difference to their championship. So they're going to be they're going to be right in that fight. And there's going to be a real there's going to be real drama to that for those teams. And every race would be an event. Yeah. Um, and then obviously Sunday, you, you you have your Grand Prix proper, you award your points in the way you do, and that's your and that's your that's your world championship. So the best team, no matter how you do it, the the teams that perform the best and pick up the most points are the teams that are going to win the world championship in Formula One. Yeah, because if you're only if your sprint races are only awarding a small number of points for the big teams, they're not going to be a hugely deciding factor, are they? Exactly. Um. So, like, there, there's. The extreme version of this <clears throat> argument that Domenicali is making is that we just do our with practice sessions entirely. And there is there is a school of thought that, oh, teams have too much data, just send them out there. I, I don't buy into that. Like, it's too, too far extreme in that direction, isn't it? Yeah, F1's an engineering championship as much as it is a driver's championship. And, you know, the, the, the ability for the teams to gather data and set up the cars is a important part of the sport any motorsport yeah is three separate practice sessions to do that too much probably i mean they've already reduced 
FP1 and 2 from 90 minutes down to 60, which I think is a step in the right direction. Yeah, I do think I 2 would probably be idea. fine. Um, and the idea of like finding ways to award points in practice sessions is nonsense. Um, like imagine like, the championship yeah. game decided in FP2 on a Friday <laughs> somewhere. Like it's ridiculous. Yeah, he's definitely going like, way too. He's over. He's oversteered. He's, he's overcorrected the skid. What he's done is he's had a bit of a brain fart on television. That's what's mm-hmm. happened there, I think. But into you know it, awards in terms of awards, he says, doesn't he? And like at the end of qualifying, they get what's the award going to be? You know, like a tire. <laughs> presented yeah. by the boss of Pirelli because you went fastest. Oh, I'm sure that's a really, really great award yeah. for everyone to get. Like, well, there no. we go. If they if they can be fastest in all three practice sessions and qualify, and they'll, they'll have a full set of four tires. That's the ultimate yeah. prize, right? Ultimately, <laughs> it's just some other crap that they can get some big corporate sponsor to put their name against. Yeah, you know? like the sprint Friday well, practice. Have we King got of medals? Practice or something Is like it that medals for with? sprint races now, or are they still doing the? They're doing this. They, last year there was a crypto. Was it a crypto? There was a medal or something, wasn't there? I think. Crypto than a nonsense. Yeah. Yeah. Krypton factor. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, yeah. But yeah, it's. I think we're all in more or less the same boat with this, aren't we? Like, less practice good, no practice bad, ultimately, I think yeah. is where we stand. Yeah. Um, yeah Callum says the sport exists to entertain it doesn't i think it getting rid of friday practice takes away some of the entertainment of the sport i think part of part of the fun of the sport is like i said is being able to tune in and get that big hit of even if you're only listening to it you could easily just listen to the coverage of, of friday practice and still get loads from it you know yeah, you don't and have to see the cars going around i mean it's, it's also an element of what has bums on seats on a Friday when it comes to tickets. Yep. The, like the... it's a huge part of that. Like and I'm I'm all for the the thing that we've said here for a long time, which is Fridays remain for a couple of practice sessions. Saturdays has qualifying and some sort of running that is better than the current sprint format. Meaningful running, yeah. Yeah. And then Sunday is reserved for your Grand Prix. Grand Prix. Like, I don't think anyone in their right mind is going to claim that the only reason there's less viewers on a Friday is because it's not meaningful running. Like, it, that's, it's, no, it's, that's it's not, not that. it's because not people that at, at work. <laughs> it's because people yeah, are exactly. busy. Like, like people, yeah, don't, people are not cancelling their weekends for every Formula 1 race and you've got 23 races. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, everyone's know, planning like, their lives around Formula 1. Yeah. It's, it's that classic sort of F1 bubble attitude as well. Like everything exists to a lot of the people who, who are at the top in Formula 1. Mm-hmm. Their lives are literally all encumbered by Formula 1. They don't realise that outside of that, everyone's got like loads of other stuff. <laughs> that yeah, do. yeah. Anyway. Right, should we move on? Yeah. Um, another weird thing that's sort of been going on since the start of the season, but it's only come out of the woodwork in the last few days, is that the FIA are no longer enforcing the poor poising limit. So and haven't been since the since, like since start of the season. Last, Singapore last year they stopped enforcing it. Actually, is that because I've seen I saw rumblings of that, which is because they only started it in Canada or Belgium, I think. Kind anyway, so for context, yeah. um, you may remember last season, I was a lot worried about the safety of um, drivers through all of the poor poison problems. 
the FIA introduced a aerodynamic oscillation metric, which sounds like something from Star Wars, mm-hmm. um, which they basically measured the effect and they imposed a limit on how much cars could aerodynamically oscillate and uh, teams had to prove they were within those limits. Bounce, basically. Uh, obviously, this season we've had changes to the um, the floor height um, of cars. They raised 15 mil around the floor and... I think 10 mil at the front or 10 mil at the diffuser, something like that. Um, and that seems to have made a difference. The FIA basically have taken the view that the new regulations have made enough of a difference that they don't need to be enforcing um, this data anymore, but they've said they are going to continue to monitor the data. And if they feel like they do need to step back in and start enforcing it, they will. Um, so yeah, this, this apparently has been... Uh, this technical directive changed a while ago. It was just kind of never announced. Yeah. And um, YouTube Formula One has lost its mind. It really this. has. And it's bizarre. This is this this is yeah. This this is not really like that huge of a deal because it was all like people are making it out to be. Oh, it's going to change the running order. Oh, Mercedes. It's all Mercedes conspiracy theory. Oh, it's all Red Bull conspiracy theory. Blah blah blah. It's nothing to do with any of that. So no, it's not. All it is is it was that measure was always a medium term solution, a short to yep. medium term yep. solution. They were keeping. They said at the time that they were going to keep an eye on it and they were going to enforce this to to be a sticking plaster while they until next year when they could adapt the rules to to engineer the issue out of the design of the cars, which they've done. So. It's just, it's just the internet going mental. I think this. I don't think this is necessarily sort of anything. I mean, the the irony is the irony is that they've not been enforcing it since the back end of last season, but everyone's only mm. just lost their minds now because it's been yeah. officially reported. Yeah, yeah, but no it didn't matter to them over the last six well. months. There's never been like an actual press release or anything from the FIA mm. about this either. This is no. this is just like someone who's said something to one person for an Italian Formula One media like blog or something or or, or, a, or a newspaper maybe or something like that. And yeah, like everyone's just going crazy over it. And it's yeah, just, like it's not it was news. only today that um, race fans reported it, and they're normally pretty good at um, only publishing stuff they've got pretty solid sources on. So. Yeah, like saying something was just just vague Italian media. Found this out. Yeah, mm. um, I do think though that related to this, there is like a bigger issue around this that's kind of not been talked about that much. Obviously, we've had these changing regulations for this year um, around the floor heights and stuff, and I know we're only two races in, but it's already starting to look like these changes to the ride height and floor height have kind of undone a lot of the good that the new regulations, this new generation of cars has done. Like in the two races we've had so far, the amount of overtaking has plummeted. So Bahrain, there were 37 overtakes this year compared to, uh, what was it, 78 the year before? It's the mm-hmm. lowest overtakes there's been in Bahrain since 2010. Um, Saudi Arabia only had 36, and that was with Verstappen coming through from the back. Um, and there's been drivers already talking about being able to 
feel the dirty air and stuff way more than they could last year and it almost being back to how it was before these new regulations oh, no. and again it's only been two races but i think we can start to be a little bit worried that they've kind of already broken everything the new cars were starting to deliver which is it is possible i mean 15 millimeters is um, it's a century centimeter and a half on a formula one car yeah. quite a lot that's like that's a, a ground effect car it's a huge yeah, amount it's a huge amount yeah yeah so just just to be clear as well this is when we talk about the, when we're talking about the floor in this instance we're not talking about the plank we're talking about the bits either side of the plank that have been raised by 1.5 centimeters the, yeah. plank, the, the plank defines the ride height of the car and if you wanted to, you could design a car even now. That's that where the plank scrapes along the road the entire time. You wouldn't you won't go very fast, but you could do that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's within the rules because the plank is the reference plane. The plank is the is the part that is the central point of the car that tells you how high up the floor needs to be above the plank, which is that extra one point five centimeters on top of what it, whatever it already was. Um, so yeah, just so we understand that, because again, I've seen a lot of coverage of this on online, and people are just so confused about what constitutes the floor, yeah. Like whether it's the plank, whether it's the mm. bit of the floor that lives underneath the plank, or whether it's like the bits either side of the plank that constitute the floor. And in truth, the whole you know the whole bottom part of the tub is the floor. It's the I guess a lot of these parts of the car have the same name when actually the plank is the true base of the car yeah um and yeah it's such a hugely important element of what they're trying to do with these cars and it it just makes you wonder how much of a knee-jerk reaction everything was last year when this poor boy and you know i'm not at the time we said something needed to be done because it was a safety issue and it did become a safety issue but like you look at that um, that team bosses meeting that's on Drive to Survive and Christian Horner's yeah. opinions on how to fix it compared to the way they did try and fix it. And I don't know, it makes you wonder if it was a bit of a knee-jerk reaction and perhaps there was a better solution that they could have found. It's, it's possible. I think as well, like a lot of this, like a lot of Mercedes problems stem from this area because, and I think a lot of it's, I've always said this, a lot of it's suspension. It's not mm-hmm. necessarily all aero involved with this. And yeah. Mercedes, I think even now, a lot of their issues are around their... I think when they first started designing this car, back when they had the front rear interconnected suspension, the car, even the car that they have now is probably designed with that in... Was originally... It, 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 no... Okay, let me rephrase. The car that they designed last year would have been, in initial stages of design, would have had front rear interconnection suspension in mind, right? Mm-hmm. And they would have been, they would have known that there would there's a chance that they'd be getting sort of oscillations in the suspension. But they would be thinking in that very early, very very early design stage, they'd be thinking, well, we've got our suspension that can handle that so we don't really need to worry too much about that hence we can get our car really really low to the ground have an amazing ground effect from it then that got taken away and somewhere in that they've failed to mitigate not having the newest they failed to redesign the suspension sufficiently to to cope with the new requirements so 
even now, this car being sort of still a hangover from last season's car, you would expect all those kind of problems to have followed it to this season, which is which I think is why they're looking at the whole concept of the car and yeah, and you know having to address things because they've designed it from the from a standing point of having something that eventually they're going to be deprived of. Yeah, I see some furious typing going on over the. Uh... <laughs> I was trying to make it very quiet typing and just struggling with it's my exact keyboard. It's yeah, it's very mechanical like keyboard. You guys and your <laughs> mechanical keyboards, honestly. Hey, it wasn't me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm no aerodynamicist and I'm no mechanical engineer or anything like that. But do we start to reach a point where we have to consider that? For ground effect to be effective in this generation of motorsport, we have to consider something like active suspension at the same time. Because I don't think it's out of the realms of. Like, it doesn't necessarily realism. need yeah, to be like be, over be the top complicated, but I think that is, from a technical standpoint, one of the only ways you're ever going to truly counter what is happening with the ground effect and the the, the amount of. The amount of change that goes through that car when it does bottom out. Yeah, because the the biggest problem with um, active suspension and the uh, Frick suspension was the fact that the big teams could spend millions and millions and millions yeah. perfecting it, exactly. and it just made the gap from the front to the back enormous. In a cost cap era, it's a lot more of a palatable thing and, to potentially bring back. Cause... And like some of the other components, though, it could be standardised to some degree. To some degree. I'm not saying it has to be, but to mm, some degree there risky, could be... Though. It is, but if you if you have... Uh, or, or have a concept that eventually becomes agreed on and allow... I don't know, you, you, could, you could essentially... It, this comes back to, I guess, sort of some of your areas of innovation for like fuels and stuff that we've talked about before, Stu. Whereas there could be um, exceptions made for finding solutions to these kind of problems, is I guess what I'm getting at. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I just think that there was a reason that teams started playing with active suspension before it got banned from the support uh, from the sport and. There's a reason that they've had to raise the ride height and the well the floor height, sorry, and they've had to make changes to the way that they they go by the current regulations because of ground effect. So they just feel it feels like like I say from from a non aerodynamicist technical mind that just makes an observation. I can see an overlap there of yeah. I, look, <laughs> I, I, it occurred to me as well, <clears throat> Tom. It did, but I think. My issue with it overall is as soon as you start, if you, I think if you start telling everyone that they've all got to have the same suspension, then you're getting, you're sort of rolling back into Formula 2 territory almost there. Like you, everyone's got the same gear and it's just about the yeah. driver. I think Formula 1 for me, and I think for a lot of, especially for the teams, it's about being able to innovate and being able to do it your own way. So I think mo- the preference for the teams obviously would be I want to go away and make my own front yeah. I yeah. think it's possible. I think if you could loosen the rules a little bit to make it so that 
particular teams could sell their system mm-hmm. to other well teams. that was going to be if they were if they were, if they were set, like, just in the same way that the engines you know each team yeah sells and the gearboxes and stuff and gearboxes. Yeah. i think if you could do it that way and actually the rear suspension as well i think on the um the aston is the mercedes rear suspension it is, yeah. it's all part of the gearbox and yeah. all that whole assembly so it's all it's williams connected. as well i think yeah so yeah well i guess we're not a million miles away from that anyway but i think you need to give the manufacturers the option to design their own suspension or buy yes uh, no i I agree with that i don't mean i didn't mean like stop short of it being a customer car though what we don't want is customer cars Mm -hmm. again like people running last year's mercedes Mm -hmm. or last year's red bull or last year's ferraris because that was you know we saw that in the past and it it just didn't work because they were those were teams that were just never ever going to win races yeah i mean like like i say i think you you've got to kind of find all the lines that you don't want to cross into essentially but yeah i wasn't sort of meaning make the suspension a spec part it was maybe making making it standardized within a certain set of rules and then like you say allow the bigger teams that can afford to use more of their budget on developing something like that let them do that and then like you say sell it on to the other teams and make yeah. it part of those standardized parts that you're allowed you are allowed to buy in from another team if you wish you know to. what though you know all this stuff we're saying now it, it, it's impossible for it to happen because of the cost cap mm-hmm. i was gonna say i think for this to happen they would probably have to bump up the cost cap for a year and then gradually bring it back down again which they're going to be very hesitant to do because they've already done that once yeah, I mean, it's one of those things, though, as well, where if, if you're making such a significant change, it's maybe a compromise you have to make of if you if you are essentially you can have you've got your, your sort of, let's say, core cost cap, but then you've got something that is a essentially an extra allocation to go towards this for two seasons or something. And then yeah. that that essentially is gone and you have to keep further development of those components within the standard budget. Allow me to um, sort of just expand on your uh, idea there a little bit. So mm. what we're saying is like you could, what you could do is have teams sign up for a technical project, say, yeah, and say, if you as a team can gather this much budget from your sponsors from XYZ, you'll, we'll let you have this much extra to spend on a homologated suspension project where you'll then be able to sell that to the other teams and use that to make up part of your budget for future seasons. Yeah. And and like maybe part of the part of the criteria of being like say eligible to do that is that you have to provide certain data back. Whereas obviously teams normally developing components would keep everything to themselves. And part of the you can go out and gather this extra money to spend it on these parts, there's a trade off of well, some of that information has to go back to the grid for other people to. Mm-hmm. Obviously, not. I'm not saying give them a blueprint so that they can make their <laughs> own. I'm thinking more of a. There's some sort of standardized set of information, and it it provides then guidelines for the other teams to be able to follow. I, I don't know. It's not. It's, um, it's literally something I'm spitballing need, yeah. like now. I, I'm doing a Dominicale. It's like I'm on the MotoGP <laughs> yeah, grid yeah. and I've just gone, let's bring back active suspension. Let's do it. I, I, I don't think it needs to be that that nuanced. I think I think all it needs is is sort of giving, give, if you give, you know, you give Mercedes 
the opportunity or Red Bull or, or Ferrari or Aston Martin even the the opportunities or Williams the opportunity to go off and make their own suspension that they'll know inside out and it's designed specifically for their car with the option of allowing them to sell that system to other teams then they'll bite your hand off for it as long as mm. they can get the money yeah. for it they'll bite your hand off for it because they can develop in their own advantage for their exactly own yeah. they can design the yeah. whole rest of their car around and they, they from mean, the ground up it's it's theirs it's whereas ex- once you're selling it and you're designing a car to that system then it's obviously you, there's less of an advantage it might be the best system you might have the best engine but you're not necessarily going to win races because the rest of your car needs to work with it. So it well, takes time to develop. Prime, prime example of that is the Williams or the Mercedes in the back of it. Exactly. I was going to say, yeah. it's exact, basically it's the same as power unit manufacturers, isn't yeah. it? And, yeah. And That's then there's, what I'm the, at. there's the thing within the rules where if a team can't find a deal for a power unit, if you are the power unit manufacturer that provides the smallest number of teams, you are obliged to sell your engines to them. And like, you know, yeah. you could put a version of that in. It's, it's, it's doable there's definitely a way of going back into that world without it just you know tearing the grid to destroying pieces. everything yeah yeah mm. interesting mm. interesting yeah. uh subject matter there how did we get here uh, oh the porpoising limit something something porpoising <laughs> yeah. uh right but yeah one... it, it, just just to sort of wrap up the porpoising conversation i don't think any of this is going to make any difference to the grid over the course oh, not of the all. system no the remaining course of the season i think this is this was done in singapore last year so yeah, yeah. right one last fairly breaking bit of new well not breaking but a new bit of new breaking anyway. news it's not it's not breaking <laughs> news <laughs> at all i'm overselling it um there is going to be a another application for a new team to join the grid in 2026 from a British businessman by the name of Craig Pollock, who is planning a team called Formula Equal. The intention of the hmm. team being it's going to be built completely from the ground up and they want to have a even 50-50 gender split at all levels of the operation. So, but you know, from people in the factory, management, pit crew, drivers, all the way through, they want to have a 50-50 gender split, which is a very interesting uh, concept for a new team. Um, so the FAA have previously said that they're going to confirm if any of the new team applications I've been asking for have been successful by the end of next month. Um, interestingly, they've also said among the criteria they're going to be judging the applications on are considerations of sustainability, equality, diversity and inclusion and societal benefit. So uh, if you wanted to be um, a stickler for it, you could maybe argue that uh, this idea comes from trying to tick some boxes that the FA want to have ticked. But, you know, I'd I'd like to give the guy the benefit of the doubt that he's approaching it um, in this way from a, a genuine point of view. You may wonder where the money's coming from for someone to come out of nowhere and build a Formula One team from the ground up. Yes, where is the money coming from? The rumours are that the money is coming from Saudi Arabia, oh. which is a place that has made... The the paragon the, of equality. Yeah, it's, exactly. There's definitely some irony there of uh, where the money comes from to fund such a team. Yeah, where are you going to pay for Formula Equal Saudi Arabia? Cool, cool, cool. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, the, their motorsport federation and government have made no secret of the fact that they want 
basically they want to have at least one Formula One team running out of that part of the world in the next few years. So it wouldn't surprise me if that is where this is coming from. Hmm. So it's, it's an interesting idea. Um, if you may, the name Craig Pollock may like trigger a memory in the back of your head from Formula One history. Um, so he, he was Jacques Villeneuve's manager for his entire racing career. He's also the guy that bought the Tyrrell team from Ken Tyrrell back in 1998. And he ran Tyrrell for one season before he did the deal with um, British American Tobacco to start the BAR team. He's also the guy that negotiated Honda returning to the sport, which turned them into BAR Honda. Um, and yeah, so he kind of led them to a couple of decent years, but then they had a really bad season in 2001 and basically um, the the title sponsors pushed him out. Um, and he's kind of flirted around with independent power unit uh, companies, which sort of went nowhere. But um, yeah, he's a guy who's got history in F1. He's, he's done some impressive things in the sport. It'll be interesting to see if the FIA bite on this particular application. I'll, I'll say this. If this team gets approved and Andretti don't, I think that will be hell to pay. <laughs> but yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's it's good to see the sport in a place where people are actively wanting to... Um, they're going you know, for this stuff, yeah. Yeah, they're, yeah, trying, yeah. they're trying to get it right, aren't they? So yeah, This I, is I, this was always one aim of the budget cap, and it seems to be working, so that's a good thing, at least. Hmm. We'll be interested to see whether... I think you can have all the equality in the world. If you can't afford to run your race team, then it's all for nothing, isn't it? Yeah. 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 But, you know, hopefully, uh, I, I would like to live in a world where every Formula One team had equal opportunities across the board. Well, yeah, that is... You know, not just gender, but every every sort of facet yeah. of yeah. the thing. That, that's the ultimate aim, isn't it? So that's what we should all be aiming for, I think. But yeah, you know, like, th- this stuff is... is, is, is it's, it's very honourable to try and do, I think how long it lasts in the crucible of motorsport where you want the absolute best at all costs a hundred percent of the time i think it's it would be difficult to maintain that perfect balance the whole time Mm -hmm. as honorable as it is and it Mm -hmm. is um but yeah let's let's see how it turns out i'd like i'd love to see it oh yeah for sure um the the, the right right idea they've got the right idea don't they Yeah. yeah Unfortunately, the right idea doesn't necessarily always um, pay off. I mean, we at some point in the next few weeks, we need to talk about um, F1 Academy, um, which means we'll have to talk about W Series, which is uh, an example of how d- the right ideas <laughs> may not necessarily lead mm-hmm. to uh, success. Yeah. But that that will be a conversation for a future podcast. Yeah. But for now, should we should we visit Formula E Corner? Let's welcome. Come come to. We've Formula not, we've not e been Corner. here for a while. No, it's been a while, hasn't it? Well, you know, we save it for the for the best races, and this one was boy, oh a, boy, uh, a, a banger. So, first of all, I want to ask you both a question before we get into this. Mm. What makes a good motor race? One word answers only, please. Unpredictability is that a word? Strong. That's the word That's I'm good. choosing. Yeah, good, good, mm. Tom. Overtaking. Overtaking, yeah, good. Another yeah, good yeah. Word. I've got strategy. Strategy, mm-hmm. I think, makes a good motor race. Um, or varied strategy. It doesn't have to be one word because I've just broken my own rule. Um, 
yeah, those those three I think are very good starts. Um, overtaking, we said plenty of overtaking. Um, yeah, overtaking, unpredictability, and strategy are very very good. You'd think we'd planned this the way you came out. With <laughs> we actually didn't. I just asked you off the cuff. Um, so yeah. Those are three things that this race was just absolutely replete with. It was amazing. <laughs> it was so, so, so good. Um, it, a race very much of two halves. Um, both halves full of action, lead changes, incidents. Um, for me, overall, it's up there with some of the best ever motor races that I've watched, <laughs> um, let alone Formula E races. So it, it did, it really, really did have a bit of everything. It was amazing. Um, race of two, so race of two halves. Half one was about strategic energy efficiency with leaders sort of allowing themselves to be passed and also managing pace in order to reduce energy consumption. It was a bit like a cycling peloton. Yeah, like, it really yeah. was. Yeah, it was. I've never Is seen anything like it. It was fascinating. Like nobody electric, wanted to be in the lead. The Tour de Sao Paulo. <laughs> um, and then this in the second half, but probably a bit beyond the second half, two halves is maybe a bit optimistic. It was probably like three quarters of peloton yeah. and then the last quarter was, was a bit of a sprint. But yeah, it eventually did kick into life. And after that point, it was just flat out racing where drivers have got to get perfect braking points, perfect apexes, perfect throttle application on exits, all while racing wheel to wheel and making effective overtakes and defending effectively without losing too much pace. And obviously at that point, the field does start to spread out a little bit because everyone's sort of managing their own race and they've, 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 they've done different, varying jobs on how well they've managed to manage yeah. up to that point. Um, so to get into the race itself, um, Van Dorn started on pole and he got away really, really nicely. Um, and straight away, Mortara, Mortara, yeah, Mortara is in the, in the back of Evans through turns one and two. And, uh, Nato is up the back of McLaren on the brakes into turn three, ending his own race. So start was a right mess, wasn't it? You've got, I mean, they got away great they all got away great <laughs> but they got when they got to turn one two one it turns one and two that and turn three that it got kind of crazy it was almost like if you played gran turismo 7 online lobby it was an online, yeah, it was like lobby. An online lobby into monza like it was like that that first chicane where everyone's just like boom yeet and everyone's <laughs> just gone um so yeah early few laps saw a fair few rear end shunts we had lotter and buemi out um, well, Wemmy actually managed to stay in it, but he, he had to have a shunt. Um, the drivers were sort of easing into a rhythm on this circuit made up of basically four straights, two chicanes, and some humongous braking zones. Such a fast track, uh, wasn't it? Yeah, turns it almost, four, five, and six. Oh, it almost on. reminded me of some of the old um, DTM tracks that they have in like city yeah. centres in Germany, where yeah. it's just like chicanes, 90-degree corners, and big old straights. So um, turns four, five, and six, the the kind of like the pointy chicane thing. Yeah. <laughs> that was like a real problem area. Everyone was just, I'm amazed there weren't more rear end shunts into that yeah. corner. There must have been more than that, than what we saw because it was just every time they were in the braking zone, someone was almost touching the back of someone else at some point. And they were all in such a tight group as well through the whole race. It's just fascinating that there weren't more rear end huge rear end shunts um 
so yeah, and you know, I, I'm just just to say while we're in the middle of this, this is like a very very brief summary. This is not going to be. I'm not going to go into full detail about too much. Even what I'm saying is already all be a lot. So yeah, yeah. Let me just. I'll, I'll just power through it, and then <laughs> you really should go away and watch it. Um, where was I? So yeah, DaCosta um, DaCosta cut the turn one chicane to, towards the sort of final. This is when we got into the sort of sprint section of the race, <laughs> and um, that ruined his race because he was in third place and he was well in contention for for you know for the slipstreaming and for the win to be to be there at the end of to be there in, potentially in front for the flag, but. If you lock up and you cut that chicane in the first corner, you had to bring your car to a complete stop and then you could accelerate again to rejoin the track. Seems which so think, harsh. It's so harsh, but it's an amazing deterrent. Isn't it, it really Because he, he was the only... There were two cars did it. The first car that went wide just didn't bother stopping. And just no. On. And um, Da Costa did stop and it... Dropped him down to like six. He lost loads of places, yeah. Cost, I reckon that cost him the win, to be honest, because he I was looking so. really good. Yeah. yeah. Um, meanwhile, Bird was making his through, making his way through the pack in the Jag from 10th. And as we get towards the end of the race, he's got a 2% lead on energy, more than his rivals, and he's sitting in third place with like five laps to go, I think, once they added the... Uh, yeah, added the extra laps for the safety cars because there were a fair few safety cars as well. Yeah, they had some like five laps. It was about five laps. Added yeah, yeah, I think four or five. Four. Yeah, yeah. Um, so by now the attack modes are all done, and after a host of lead changes at the very front, we're into full sprint sprint race road. Four lad four laps added due to safety cars, and it's battle royale to the finish <laughs> line between Cassidy, Evans, and Bird. Um, the front feet ultimately crossed the line with 0.5 seconds between them. Um, it was Evans who who won the race, Cassidy in second. It was a good move. Evans put on Cassidy as well really down good. the down the down the main straight. But it we had to be, you know, last minute. It was like Danny Ricardo on the brakes. Yeah, it really that, was. Danny Ricardo at his best on the brakes. Yeah, was that level <laughs> yeah. of move. Um, and yeah, 0.5 seconds between them. So. Evans, Bird, uh, Evans, Cassidy, Bird over the line, and then the rest of them. Um, but wait, there's more. <laughs> um, <laughs> on the cool down lap, it looked like the cars of Evans and Cassidy might not make it back to the pits, but ultimately did make it back. So the result stood. But for some, I don't know why. Like I've, I haven't really researched this because yeah, they the had the information is not out there by the look of it, but. I think they, they just, both had they to just like do a full reset on the cars to get them moving, but I'm not sure why they both stopped in the first place. Hmm. Definitely not because they run out of energy. No. <laughs> the crazy but... thing is, though, like Bird, who finished third, he finished the race with 1% left, which obviously sounds like not much, but in Formula E race That's terms, a lot. That is quite yeah. a lot, yeah. Yeah, it's loads. I've never seen anyone with so much energy not be able to take advantage of it like it's because he was in the slipstream for so long he yeah he was so far down the slipstream would have been so powerful and so economical to and and the jaguar is quite economical anyway evans and cassidy to hold him off for those last few laps was very impressive it almost felt a little bit like there was a a shared understanding that like if we fight too much bird's gonna have both of us here yeah. so let's like yeah. consolidate a little bit i mean cassidy had a good old go at it on the last lap but uh 
sort of a yeah. little bit of cutting their losses at that point, I think. Yeah. Um, Van Dorn, you'll remember, started on pole, yeah. um, finished up in sixth because he just used too much energy during the peloton stage. In the <laughs> commas. Um, and yeah, he, he lost out big time because of that. He, they just There were a couple of them just led for too long and they just dropped off the order because... Uh, when, when you're in the lead like that, you really are dragging all the other cars along. So. Yeah, the the race management from them was pretty poor. Like it, it was it, it was just obvious really early on that like there's no way if he stays at the front like this, you could watch his energy dropping faster than everyone else. Like there was no way yeah. he was ever going to be able to hold that. Yeah, but it did look at times like that he was trying to lose the lead sometimes, and everyone else was like, no, no, no off you yeah. go. Yeah, yeah, totally. And other people had the cheek to call what he was doing dangerous. It's like, well, no, yeah, he's no. He's just slowing down a bit, yeah. go past him. It's not dangerous at He's all. He's doing some extreme lift and coasting. Yeah. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it's all on, um, if you're in the UK, it's all on Channel 4 Sports YouTube. Um, go give it a watch. It is, it's just it was end fantastic. to end. The entire race, there was stuff happening. There were collisions, there was incident. It was absolutely jam-packed, full of action. Yeah. It was a brilliant race. Some properly race. amazing wheel-to-wheel racing as well. Yeah, really, really good. Um, yes. Okay. So that's Formula E corner done. Shall we do storylines? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So your storylines going into the Australian Grand Prix this weekend. We're back to the Formula One. You'll be pleased to hear if you've been <laughs> fast forwarding through this. Um, uh, so with only a point between Verstappen and Perez, can the team stop both drivers unleashing the full potential of Red Bull's advantage over the rest of the field and risk more unreliability? <laughs> Because like, I mean, like we've 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 now seen a glimpse of what that car looks like when both drivers are going flat out, and I think Saudi Arabia made us realise how much they were coasting in Bahrain. Mm. But yeah, I mean, it, it, the precedents already set that every time the team tell one of their drivers to like, you know, hit these lap times, the f- their first thought is going to be, "But is the other guy doing that? Probably not. Yeah. I'm going to keep driving flat out until I know otherwise." Yeah. yeah, I would quite like to see this season. I, I don't mind a, you know, I don't mind a a fireworks intra team battle. No, inter team, intra team, inter in, inter inter team is across two teams, isn't it? Yeah, so intra team, it, like intranet, intra intra team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Intra team battle. Inter is, the two inter is the across. This is not good content. No, it's no, excellent content. Good. <laughs> the the next one is will Aston Martin still be in this still be the second fastest team at a third very different track? I think they might be. I suspect they will as well. Yes. <laughs> um, Aston answered. Next one, are you wearing the Aston Martin hat? I nearly bought an Aston Martin hat. The other day. Yeah, I've got my hockey hat on right now. <laughs> um, can Ferrari, Mercedes, or even McLaren? Close the gap to those ahead. Um, I, I suppose you mean those ahead of them, respectively. Of them. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, will we see anything? Any of the big changes that Mercedes have said are on the way? We know they've got big upgrades coming. They've not said specifically when. Mm. Austra- Australia's not. Australia's a probably not going to be somewhere for that. I don't think. Probably um, not. Probably won't. No, once I, we get I'd back over to Europe. <laughs> But they have been saying that they've got bits and bobs in the works. So I, I think pretty much every race they'll probably bring something. something even if it's only minor, yeah. they'll bring bits yeah. and bobs. I suppose there could um, be elements as well that because 
the way the way that this works is usually on these what we refer to as flyaways, like the long distance haulage ones. They're already sending stuff out there during the existing race weekend. So it's quite possible that stuff that they've been working on goes out to Australia and then everything that goes from Saudi Arabia to Australia meets it there. Yeah, so yeah, it's not it's not completely implausible, but it just it because of it because we've been out there, I suppose it's less likely it'd be something too major. But yeah. not completely impossible. Yeah. Um the next one is there's a risk of rain over the weekend, mostly on Friday, um, less chance on Saturday and on and Sunday is likely to be dry. Um but it does look like being considerably cooler than last year's race. So those teams that have got a very high deg could be a little bit less of a disadvantage if it's not so hot. Yeah, Ferrari would be happy to see that. We're very, very, very slightly later in the year to be in Australia, though, aren't we? I guess. Yeah. Not by yeah, much, only by a couple of weeks. Only by a couple of weeks, but yeah. But we probably are, yeah. We have had with, some with very the time wet of races year. there in the past, though. Yeah, with the time of year it is over there, though, it's not surprising that there's potential that it's... Because they're, like, coming out of summer and into winter. Yeah, they're, this time they're of year. To, well, they're getting they're towards getting this, their, fall their fall season. So, like, yeah. it, is, it is in... Yes. Autumn. What do they call it in Australia? Leafy that's not, time. That's not important right now. <laughs> Leafy time. Anyway... It, they're entering Auto. that. <laughs> they, they're entering that sort of time of year, so it wouldn't surprise me if the weather is potentially slightly worse. But... Yeah, apparently Melbourne is one of the more rainy parts of um, mm. Australia. Did you mm. know? I got that information from Mighty Carmods today. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Is that uh, it? And yeah, that's all. That's that is all the story. That's pretty much it. I think the main one is probably you know, obviously the big story is like what's going to happen with Red Bull. Are they going to be popping mm. each other's faces? There's already tension in that team, so yeah. I'm excited to see how all of that unfolds. And They're going to be up in each other's faces, I reckon. I'm Every- going to be supporting Sergio Perez this season. By the look of it, oh, McCheco will be so happy. <laughs> <laughs> He's been waiting a long time for. You specifically, but just us in general, to give him, <laughs> to give Mc, uh, Mr. Perez the credit he deserves. Do you mean McPerez? <laughs> <laughs> I nearly said McPerez, yeah. <laughs> just because I'm so used to saying McCheco. Right. <laughs> With all that in mind, it's time for us to make some predictions. Tom, do you want to take us through? Yes, it is prediction time. Uh, so for those of you who are newer or don't realise how this works, you can head to backofthegrid.com if you want to get involved. And there you'll be able to register or sign into your account and basically make predictions for this weekend's Australian Grand Prix. Um, we are foolish, so we are going to go nearly a week ahead of time and make stupid. some predictions. Yep, we are just like Charles. Um so yeah, we're going to predict who will be fastest in Q3, who will win the race, who will be the first DNF, who, how many finishes there will be, and the position of a random driver, which we will select in just a moment. Uh, if it's safe to do so, Chris. I believe it's safe <laughs> for, for, for Chris to do so. Don't worry, I'm only on official sanctioned random number <laughs> generator websites. Okay, good. Not, not other ones who are impersonating said websites. <laughs> Uh, right. Okay. Let's let's go for this. Um, Stu, you can go first. Fastest in Q3. I want to go Perez. You know. Interesting. Street circuit. 
Okay. Chris, how about you? Um, I just remember that there's like different layouts, isn't it? The circuit now it's it's a lot faster. Yeah. Than it used to we've, be. yeah, we've used it. We used it last year for the first time. Yeah. If it was the old version, I might have taken a punt on Alonso. But given that they've made the circuit faster with some with more like medium and high speed corners, I think I'm gonna go for Stappen. Okay. So I'm with a, you. A, a ver, it's another, another, ver. another ver. I'm going with a ver as well. Mm-hmm. Um I I can't look past either of them at the minute and I'm sort of with Chris on that I think that the layout changes won't play more into that Checo toolkit. Um, it's, lo- it's lost some of the street circuit elements that would have maybe yeah. given Perez yeah. the, the leg up um, that he has sometimes. So I'm sticking with Verstappen, same as Chris. Winner, Chris. I'm going for one of those chaotic races that this circuit throws up from time to time, and I'm going to say Alonso for the win. Ooh. You're a madman. You're a madman. He cra- I'm, hoping, cra- I'm hoping for chaos. <laughs> what about you, Stu? Um, I'm gonna, let's go Perez double. I'm going to go for the Perez double. I was very close to saying Perez for the win. And but I'm being silly. <laughs> I am going to say Perez for the win, so I'm going that... So basically none of us have got Verstappen. That's really interesting. What, what is wrong with us? <laughs> We're idiots. We're all stupid. Can I change mine to Verstappen? Actually, I am stupid. To be opposite to you. You want to be the opposite to me, so you want to go Verstappen. So you basically you just want to try and claw a, a point back there. Potentially, we know yeah. I'm not going to get one. <laughs> well, no, I don't think. No, no, no. I mean, I'm already behind. I think I've only got one point. <laughs> I think okay. any of us have got many so far. Let's move to first DNF. I'm going to go first on this one and in true me style i'm going to say oscar piastri because it's a driver <laughs> at his inaugural home, oh, home race. of course yeah savage absolutely savage. oscar piastri Stu, how about you um i think it's a it... who was the first dnf last race last race or last, last race, race at albert park uh in they're Saturday. two different questions um Oh, I can't remember. Uh, Stroll was early. Stroll was early doors-ish. It was Lance Stroll, followed by Alex Albon. I don't think it'll be Stroll. (laughs) (laughs) All that for nothing. After all that. (laughs) I think it'll be... Well, I think whatever the Stroll issue was, I think it was an engine issue, and they probably fixed because Alonso was fine. So, yeah. it could be one of the Red Bulls. Because if they're pushing each other and they're going for the win, I'm mm. going to go Perez for first DNF. Oh, you've, you've changed from him winning to him <laughs> first DNF. Yeah. I love it. I mean... The chaos I'm is di- real. I'm going to put it out there. One day I will take the time to go back through all of your predictions in this sort of scenario <laughs> and see roughly, on average, how long you stole for just babbling... <laughs> Whilst you think of who you want to say. 
Because you are an expert in this game at doing exactly that, of just talking your way out of having to give the prediction on the spot. (laughs) I'm bad, but Stu's made it into an art form. (laughs) Speaking of, Chris, it's your turn. (laughs) Uh, Nick DeVries. Okay. That was nice and easy. I think like going for the lower teams this season is not the one though. Like I, yeah, because they're not making early retirements. The, the, the yeah, the, it's true. So actually, slow. well, they're not not necessarily that slow, but they're just because they're all quicker than last year. But they just see the, the slow teams don't seem to have that unreliability that cripples a lot of slow teams. Yeah. They seem to just yeah. be slow. Mister Evans, I'm going back to back with you. Who do you think the first uh, the number of finishers will be? What do you think the number of finishes will be? Um, I'll lean into the chaos and say 16. 16. 16. I am going to be a little bit more conservative and say 18. Oh, yes, 17, please. (laughs) I had a feeling Stu might want the 17 stuck in the middle, so... That works. And then finally, can you draw us a random driver for this week, please? You can. Yes. It is number 18, bottom of the list, Logan Sargent. Ooh. Any takers on that first as I put that into the database Logo to Sarge make it alive? Um, hmm. 17th. Thanks. And that... Ladies and gentlemen, is how you get a full house of five <laughs> out of five. Did you say you said seventeenth, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you you got him last on the road. Um, I'm a little bit more optimistic for him, so I'm gonna also say seventeenth, but that won't make him last in the road on on the road in my <laughs> thing. <laughs> so somewhat more optimistic, but not quite. Chris. Chris. Um, he's had a 12th and a 16th so far, this difference. So I will split the difference and say 14th. Interesting. Okay, that is that. Uh, if you would like to join in, it is literally now open. You can go do it. That means even you, literally Discord, now. who are listen- listening right now, it is open. So go have at it. Um, yeah, head to backofthegrid.com. There's also information on there to join our fantasy league. So there's one in, on Grid Rival and one on the official um, F1 fantasy. So head on there, hit the fantasy page, and you can get links to both of those. Do your predictions. Use it to contact us. All that jazz. Inbox, gentlemen. Inbox. Let's. Is. <laughs> Keep it saying now. Stay, stay out. In, 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 in. Um, Alex Woodward says, "Hey, fellow Formula One fans, do you? That's us. Do you think Red Bull's current domination is similar to the level Mercedes achieved during the 2010s, or was the Merc relatively better than the Red Bull currently is against the pack?" Because Lewis Hamilton tried to claim that. the Red Bull this year is more dominant than any car he's ever had. Nonsense. I've, I've, I've literally seen multiple uh, Formula One outlets on the internet go away and do the maths on that. And they debunked it. It is simply untrue. Um, 
they are. But they it are. It feels that way though when when yeah. Verstappen just sails. Well, yeah, exactly. When you're when you're in the lesser car, it probably does definitely feel that way. I think they are dominant in different ways, like Red Bull, which is very true to Red Bull, are dominant in a much more aero capacity, and the Mercedes was just the power unit to have. Like that was shown by the first couple of seasons when Williams had it and you got Bottas and Massa challenging for podiums with it. That's how good and far dominant yeah. that engine was. So it's just different kinds of dominance. Theirs was power unit. Nobody else was anywhere close. Red Bulls is aero. Like Yeah, the power units these days are all pretty close together, yeah. aren't they? So Yeah. Yeah. Same levels of dominance, just different kinds, I would say. Yeah. Uh next one. Uh, Eugene Mister says Ferrari's loss in performance seems to come aerodynamically. Is this linked to Benotto's exit? And would Ferrari have known they may have to take a step backwards before being able to move forwards again? Is that too much logic involved for for the Marinello outfit? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the thing the thing is, Benotto oversaw most of the development of this car. Like, mm -hmm. none of their current problems can be really put at the door of uh, Fred Vassar or any of the, you know, people who've moved around this year. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I changing team principles is always going to be a rocky road to, uh, to go over pre-season, but. I think a lot of Ferrari's issues last year were not necessarily to do with the car. I think a lot of them were to do with strategy mm -hmm. and not developing the car towards the end of the yeah. season. They, yeah. they stopped developing it. Um, yeah, I think Binotto ex Binotto's exit, if there's any way it's going to go, I think Fred Vasseur, from what I've seen of him, doesn't seem to, to, to quote Toto Wolf, doesn't seem to have any holy cows in that team. So <laughs> I think things like the strategy department and other departments that are in need of it uh, no one in Ferrari at the moment is immune to being shaken up and yeah. and sort of put in order. Yeah, and um, I think that's what Ferrari have needed for mm -hmm. a few years. And the only way they were ever going to get that is if was by Binotto going. So I think ultimately, if the question is, are they a worse team now? Binotto's gone. Then the answer to that would be no. No, I don't think so either. Yeah, I think hiring a new leader from outside was definitely the right choice for them. Well, yeah, and... the it's not it's not worked doing it the other way for a while, has no. it? No. So... Frevisor definitely strikes me as the sort of person who is not afraid to say the things people don't want to hear, and not afraid to make, make decisions. the hard decisions and upset people. Yeah. Yep. The problem he has is if he does that too much at Ferrari, are the bosses going to be yeah happy with him? Uh, yeah. Are they going to are they going? Is he going to? I suppose he can't lose because. If he if they boot him out for saying stuff that they don't like, then he's exposing a huge weakness straight away. Um, but if he if they manage to convince him to sort of go with the political consensus at Ferrari, then he almost becomes absorbed into the weak the biggest weakness of the team. So yeah. you'll know pretty quick because he'll stop sort of being so bullish about yeah. what he's going to yeah. do inside the team. Very much like walking a tightrope being team principal at Ferrari, I think. Yeah. Uh, next, from Jay Alexander. 
I wish let's let's try and keep our answers to this fairly short before we go deep down a rabbit hole. But <laughs> and he did warn us that this was a bit of a spicy question, but I put it anyway. Hey man, with literally any FIA cock up or incident being used by fans to bring it up, and seeing that the result will almost certainly never be changed and is only making F1 discourse increasingly toxic, does F1 as a whole, fans and punditry, need to move on from Abu Dhabi twenty twenty one? I mean, dude, like, what kind of a question is that? Take your own advice. <laughs> I think, I think he just wants us to tell people to move on. Maybe I think, I'm happy to look, do so there's, because there's, I think most of us have more or less moved on from it. I think there's a set of fans on both sides that are gonna that are never yeah. really gave, yeah gonna be able to move on from it, and they're always gonna bring it up. But I think as time goes on they will inevitably become quieter and quieter because they'll just get bored. Yeah. and You just have to ignore them. And yeah. luckily for the majority of us, those kind of fans are generally the fans that when the respective driver goes, they're gone too. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Like, don't get me wrong, there's plenty of people who aren't in either of those two camps that were unhappy by what happened, us included. Yeah. But... We're the kind of people that don't also mention it in every single tweet we make on the internet or every single YouTube comment or every single whatever. Like, some people have made that race part of their personality and their opinion on it <laughs> is He's part right. of their He's personality. Right. And those kinds of people will leave the sport when one of two drivers also leaves said sport. Yeah. And, and they will die on that hill. Yeah, yeah. and... To be fair, the ones from the other camp will probably get a lot quieter when the the opposing <laughs> yeah, ones. Do, do you know what I mean? Like, as soon as one of them's gone, it's pretty much over because the other side will have no reason to mention it anymore. They'll just be yelling at a brick wall at that point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you I, can, I think um, it's just like a set of people just yelling at each other, still yelling into the void. <laughs> yeah, you can you can move on from things without necessarily agreeing with them. And correct. Yes. Yeah. As, I as will Alexander say, like, said, I think there's elements of both fans and punditry and journalism that could all uh, learn from that. Yeah, yeah, I think just to add one thing, I think like when you've spent an entire season of Formula One working as your job and then something like that happens and it sort of illegitimizes not only the sport but the people that are competing in it, then it almost feels like you've wasted a year of your life on what you <laughs> thought was an, a, 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 you know, a legit sport. So uh, there are people who, who probably work within the sport in different roles, whether that's, you know, whether that's content creators, whether that's um, people who work for Formula One, whether that's people who work for teams, whether that's just people who work for broadcasters, whatever. It is a bit of a slap in the face when the ruling body does something like that at the end of it and you're like oh no like <laughs> this is my sport what are you doing <laughs> yeah. this is what i've dedicated all this time to in my life um, yeah you're getting paid but you're still dedicating probably more time than mm. most people are to that to that sport and making that sport look good and when they shoot themselves in the foot like that you just feel like you're wasting your time yeah <laughs> so <laughs> I can definitely say in the however many years we've been doing this, that is the episode of this podcast I have enjoyed making the least by a long stretch. <laughs> yeah. 
Next one, um, Jamal says, do you think races are now too short with the speed of modern F1 cars without a safety car or weather intervention? Most F1 racers now go 70 to 90 minutes. Would you prefer to see them racing closer to the two-hour mark? I think 20% more laps of an increase in sprints would too would be nice. Oh, I don't know about the increase in sprint races, but mm. I don't know. I'm kind of happy with it the way it is. What about you two? Uh, I don't mind it. Like, it's... Is what it, uh, let's put it this way. When we all come round to Singapore, we're all dreading the fact that it's going to last four hours. <laughs> or it can't, it can't last four hours anymore. But you know the point. Like, it's noticeably different will, of how much last, longer that. Class three hours, exactly, can't it? it can, no, it's exactly four hours, isn't it? I thought it was three the now. Timer, the time, I thought the time was four. I've changed that so many times. Some, some, someone on Twitter will correct us. It's fine. Yeah. Um, We've said both yeah. now, so technically we can't be wrong. Exactly. exactly. And unless both those answers are wrong and it's like 2.75. <laughs> yeah. And then we're just complete idiots. <laughs> <laughs> now, I, I think, like no one knew that already. <laughs> I think it's okay now, but it probably highlights more the point of the only two competitive sessions are 60 minutes of qualifying hmm. and then up to a 90-minute race. Probably kind of comes nicely full circle to we maybe need another competitive session on the Saturday. Um, <laughs> not necessarily making the Grand Prix longer. but So I'd take the sprint comment in this question and replace it with our community reverse grid plan that yeah, Stu once put reverse, together. Reverse um, championship order grid. Mm. Yeah. I, think, I think if you could guarantee that Races that are close to two hours would have two to three pit stop strategies. I'd maybe be more on board with it. I think mm. I'd, I'd sooner have more strategy variation than more racing time. I think that's the change I'd prefer to see. Yeah. 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 It's, I, I mean, agree. it's no good. I think, like, if you think back to the last race in Saudi, there's a big old lull in that yeah. race. Like, it wasn't, it wasn't wall to wall excitement. I don't think another, what, Half 20 hour, minutes. 20 minutes, <laughs> half an hour is going, make that, uh, is, is going to make that a better race, you know? I think, if anything, it it just make the lull longer, yeah? Because they'll, yeah. be, they'll just be, they'd just be trying to conserve tyres. That's yeah. what would happen. So I think, I think it's about right. But, you know, everyone, everyone thinks differently. If you, if you feel that way, get in touch with old uh, Formula One management. <laughs> just find Domenicali on a MotoGP grid. I'm sure he'll just give you some ideas. Yeah. <laughs> just change the entire format on a whim yeah um yeah so on that <laughs> it seems like a probably time to finish <laughs> um so yeah um don't forget to go to backthegrid.com and submit your predictions um it's worth doing whether you've missed two races or not or whatever if you get five out of five there's always a prize for anyone who does that um, even though I've got five out of five twice, and I've never had a prize, I don't know about you two, but um, I don't think I've ever Chris got five out of face. five, so I wouldn't know. <laughs> Chris is like, "What is he on about?" <laughs> um, uh, don't forget to go and update your grid rival teams, um, like I've been forgetting to do. And yeah, if you want to get in touch with us, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all the usual spots. And of course, don't forget to like, share, and subscribe to the podcast because it really, really does help. And last of all. Thank you to all our patrons for joining us in the live chat and for um, for supporting the podcast. And 
you can also become a patron by going to patreon.com slash back of the grid. So um, visit us there and join and you'll be able to join the discord and join the live shows and everything. And it's a great time for everyone. So yeah, thank you for joining us and goodbye. Bye. Bye everyone.